the Redeemer Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead, and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church. And what you're about to listen to is a sermon that was preached at our Rooted Retreat by Luke Abendroth. He is a dear personal friend of, of me, and I was we were actually roommates in college, and it was a joy to have him out to preach. He's a gifted teacher. And uh, we started a new sermon series called All of Grace at this Rooted Retreat. And so in this ser- sermon series, we're looking at nine doctrines, nine truths that focus on how salvation from A to Z, from past to the present to the future, is all of God's grace. And the goal is just to show just how magnificent and gracious and merciful our good God is. And I believe that as we look to Jesus, as we look to his grace, the more and more we will be transformed. We'll be left in awe. We'll be left more uh, with more thanksgiving and gratitude to live for Jesus. We'll have more assurance and freedom to obey his law because we know that no matter what happens he will not we will not be separated from his love and that's the good news of the gospel and so in this first sermon we're going to be starting off looking at God's work of grace in the past with the doctrine of election and so I know that this is a controversial topic but we want to take the posture of humility as we listen and so I hope that this is encouraging to you thanks for listening Well, I'm really excited. Like JC said, this series you guys are starting to go through, this is going to be the first sermon in that series, but it's a series titled All of Grace. All of Grace. That's going to be, and I know JT, after the two messages, I'm going to do one today and one tomorrow night, and then he's going to move forward talking about how salvation from the very beginning in God's heart and mind to the very end when we're in heaven with Jesus forever is all of grace. It's all God's grace. There's nothing that we contribute. God saves us by grace. He brings us to the end by grace and we're in heaven by grace. So I'm going to talk today about the first step in this kind of, you could say, process of salvation. The first step in this order of salvation is called election. We're going to talk about election tonight. And the term election, you know, we always think of like the election, like did the election, was the election stolen or not? Like you hear people talk about this stuff, but that's not the election I'm talking about. I'm not going to talk about politics tonight. Uh, we're talking about election, actually the real election, which is God's choosing, God's choice or God's choosing. That's a very simple definition of election. And that's what we're going to talk about. And just like, just like God we also like to choose, right? You guys like to choose. Some of you seniors, you're going to choose a college right now. You're looking at different schools and you're going to, you're going to make a decision at some point, probably with the help of your parents about where you're going to go to school. Some of you staff people, maybe you're looking for a new job. You're going to, you're going to choose something. We all like to choose. We choose what ice cream we want to get at the store. We choose who we're going to marry one day. And back in the day, they had arranged marriages. I don't know if anybody's in favor of that. For some of the guys here, that might be your only chance. <laughs> but for most of us, right, we want, we want what's called a love marriage. We want to choose somebody because of how much we love them. We want to be able to make a decision about the person we're going to spend the rest of our lives with, right? So all of us naturally understand choice. We all understand what, what choosing means, and, and we like the idea of choice. But for some reason... When it comes to God, this is a very controversial topic. This is a very, um, uh, this is a topic that makes people 
fight with each other. This is a topic that makes people upset, that makes them sad, that makes them angry, and it's, it's got a lot of emotion attached to it. But I, I, I hope that you'll see that this, this truth, election, God choosing people that he's going to save, is actually some of the best news you could ever hear. So I want to go through four questions, four questions that are going to teach us all about election, the doctrine of election. This is the first step in the order of salvation. Four questions. It's very simple. I just want to be very simple and clear so you can walk out of here and for the rest of your life you can go, I think I know what, what election means. First question, very simple. What is election? What is election? Well, I already kind of jumped the gun a little bit. And what did I say? Election is God's choice or God's choosing. Election is God's choice. That God chooses the people that he's going to save. And this is found all throughout the Bible, right? We see all throughout the scriptures that God, there were two twins, right? Jacob and Esau. And God chose who? Anybody know? God chose Jacob and he didn't choose Esau, right? And connected to that, we see later in time, God chose the nation of Israel. Actually, at the same time, God chose the nation of Israel and he didn't choose the other nations, right? He didn't choose America. God chose the nation of Israel. God chose David and he didn't choose all of the other brothers. You can see, I don't even necessarily need to prove this to you from the Bible. We already know, just because you guys are familiar with these stories, that God likes to choose. This is something that God does throughout time. But turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 1, and I want to show you a, a simple verse that summarizes what election is, that shows us, that proves to us that God does, in fact, choose people. He didn't just choose Jacob over Esau. He didn't just choose Israel over the other nations. He didn't just choose David over the other brothers, but he chose specific people. He chose specific people to save. If you're a Christian, God chose you specifically before the world was even created. So if you're, if you're turning with me, Ephesians chapter 1, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read Ephesians chapter 1, verses, I'm just going to start reading in um, verse 3 through 5. Verse 3 through 5, I'm going to start reading. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Listen to this, verse 4. Just as he, what does it say? Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Paul is starting this letter to the church in, in Ephesus, uh, a, a real church. Paul's writing this letter, and he's, he's saying, he's, he's praising God. He's saying, blessed be God. God, you're so amazing. We want to worship you. And what is, what is the, one of the first things that, that comes to his mind when he's thinking about why we should worship God? In the beginning of chapter 4, just as he chose us in him, it's that God chose us. Shows us, meaning Christians, God shows us in Christ. And if we keep reading, we see that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. But look at that, that word in verse 5, predestined. We, we, we heard earlier in verse 4 that God chose, and then Paul says a similar thing, kind of the same, just a different way of saying it. He predestined us. The word destinary, it's like the same root words in the word destination. God chose 
The people who are going to end up at the destination of heaven. God, before time, chose specific people that were going to go to heaven. He chose us in him and he predestined us for adoption as sons. Very clear in scripture. And even if this was the only passage in scripture that, that uses kind of language, it would be enough for us to know it's very clear that God shows certain people. God chose specific people to save. And just as a, a brief side point, and we'll come back to another verse, but as a brief side point, the, this is a very controversial topic, as I said, but it's not really controversial. It doesn't make people mad because of, of biblical reasons. People don't come to the Bible and read it and say, I don't really think God chooses people. People don't like this idea of election because they don't think it's fair. They don't agree with it. They don't like it. They have other ideas of what God should have done. So we see this is very clear in scripture, right? This is, this is clear as day. You junior hires here, you could read this and say, I understand what that means. God shows certain people. He predestines certain people. And so people tend to have a problem with this. And we'll see that you, I think you guys will agree with me by the end of this sermon. But you, you, you see that they have a problem with it because they don't like it. But we don't get to determine what's true or not based on what we like. I don't like the fact that on Monday morning, I have to, Sunday night, I have to fly back and Monday morning, I have to get up and go to work. I don't like that. Is it true? Yes. And so as people who are people of God, when we're reading the Bible, we have to just believe what the Bible says, even if it's hard for us. And after all, if Jesus is the one telling us hard things, after we know how amazing Jesus is, how great of a savior he is, it's not even really that hard to listen. So that's just a side point. But let's, let's also look at one, one more verse just to define election. Romans 8, verses 20 through 30. And, and JT actually read this, but I'm just going to zoom in on one part. You can turn there or I'll just read it. And I'm going to start reading verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. There's that word predestined again. It's an, another word for the same idea of choosing. But before that, we see the word foreknew. That God foreknew Christians. He foreknew people who were going to be saved. And a lot of times we can think, well, does that mean that God had to learn something? Who thinks, raise your hand, did you, who thinks that God has ever had to learn something in his life? Anybody? Raise your hand. Does anybody think God maybe didn't know something at some point and he had to learn? You, one guy raised his hand, but he put it down right away. So I won't count that. Good job. No, we, we would never say that God had to learn anything, right? But So what does it mean that God foreknew people? That God foreknew us? Well, the idea of knowledge in the Bible, it's actually kind of a, a synonym. It's another word for love. To Adam knew his wife Eve. He loved his wife. It's this really close relationship. So what this passage is saying in Romans 8 is that God foreknew the people he foreloved for, like before, he before time loved people. And that's one of the amazing things about this truth, about election, about God's choosing, is that it's not just God choosing um, like some random thing. It's that God is choosing to set his love on specific people. This is, this is a decision of love that before time, in, in verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, for love, he also predestined. He loved these people before time, and because of that, he chose them. 
So I think even just from these two passages, you can see election is God's choosing. Election is God choosing people. Election is God choosing those whom he's going to save. One more brief passage, Acts 13, verse 48. I'll just read it. And when the Gentiles heard this, they heard the gospel, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. That means as many people as God had chosen ended up believing. So I I think you guys, I hope you guys are seeing that in scripture, in the Bible, it's very clear that God chooses the people who he's going to save, right? Does everybody see that in the Bible? That God chooses the people he's going to save. Election is God's choosing and it's very clear in scripture. First question, what is election? It's God's choice. Which brings us to our second question. Why does God elect some and not others? Why does God elect some and not others? Question number two. Remember, I said that God chooses some people. He foreloves certain people. He chooses the people that he wants to save, that Jesus is going to die for. But what does that mean? That means that there's some people that God didn't choose. And this is where we get into the idea. uh, This is where we get into the reason why people are upset. Because they're upset with the fact that God would choose some people and not choose others. And we understand, especially as Americans, we don't like that we, anything that we deem as unfair. And I'm actually going to talk about that specifically. But just hang on with me. And first, we're going to answer this question. Why does God elect some and not others? And turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. And we're going we're gonna to spend some time here um, for the rest of the night. And, and honestly... When you think of election, if you can remember this, just write this down. When you think of election, the number one chapter you should think of is Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. It's one of the clearest passages in all of scripture about election. The whole chapter is is basically about election. And it's super clear. So Romans chapter 9. And and I'm going to answer the question again. Why does God choose some and not others? First of all, God chooses some people and not others, but it has nothing to do with works. It's not by works. God doesn't choose people based on their works. And I know that JT probably talks about this every single time he gets up to talk to you guys, which is, which is great, which is what he should do, because we always forget it. But God doesn't choose people based on their works. Look at verse 11 with me, Romans 9, verse 11. And he's talking about um, Jacob and Esau. And he says, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election, choosing, right? In order that God's choice might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. Romans 9, 11, he's talking about one of the, the greatest examples of election where God chooses one person and not another, and we're asking why, and we know it's not by works. It's so clear right here explicitly. It says in Romans 9, 11, it's not by works. First Timothy 1, 9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Some of you, I know, you know by heart, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. God doesn't 
imagine what would happen in the future before the world created. You didn't imagine what would happen and see, oh, well, you know what? Johnny is going to live a really great life, so I'm going to choose him. Or so, you know, this other kid's going to be a great basketball player, so I'm going to choose him. This other person is going to be a really good person, so I'm going to choose them. No, it's not by works. God doesn't choose anyone by works. And just as a reminder, if you want to go to heaven based on your works, if you thought, well, I think I can still make it based on works, what is the standard that God requires of you? How much obedience do you have to give? How much do you have to obey God? Anybody know? 100% or perfectly, right? If you want to go to heaven based on your works, Jesus said, Jesus said that you must be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect in Matthew 5, 48. That's the words of Jesus right there. If you're listening to this and you think I can make it to heaven because I'm a good person, here's what Jesus says to you tonight. You must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Or his brother James said, for whosoever keeps the whole law, if you kept every law since the time you were born and stumbles in one point, he's become guilty of all. If you obeyed God from the moment you were born and loved other people and loved God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you failed one time, it's like you're guilty of breaking the whole law. So there's no hope for us based on works. God doesn't choose us by works. And that's good news because what does the Bible say? No one is righteous. No, not one. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Mankind in Genesis, was, we're told about them, that the thoughts of their hearts was always evil continually. That Paul says in Titus that people by nature, you by nature, I know you think, okay, Probably everybody here, if, if I took you and put you in, you know, amongst all your unbelieving friends, you might be one of the best people there from the world standard, right? You're a good person. But the Bible says, Paul says in Titus that you by nature hate God and you hate one another. Think about that. We don't think that way about ourselves. We think, oh, well, I'm not that bad. Even when we think about our sins, right? Like think about, I don't know if you even can. I can think of some of these things, but think about the worst thing that you've ever done. If you can, maybe you can't even, but think about the worst thing that you've ever done. The thing you the, feel the most shame about when you remember it. How do we usually respond to that? We think, oh, well, I was in this really weird situation and like this happened and this happened and then I did that. It's in our nature. We make excuses, right? We're like, oh, well, that wasn't the real me. Like, I fail. I did this. Like, you hear murderers like, oh, I just got caught up in the moment like this, and then I shot this guy. Like, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. That's, I don't think that's how they talk, but I, I'm, see, I'm proving I'm not a murderer. But you see what I'm saying, right? We make excuses for, if you think of the worst thing you've ever done, we, our natural instinct, if you had to tell someone about that, is to make excuses for it. But that thing, think about that one thing, the worst thing you've ever done. That's the best picture of who you really are. If God had to take one little blip on a movie screen and say, this is Luke Abendroff's life, it would be the worst thing I've ever done. Because it came from your heart. It wasn't because of these circumstances around you. The worst thing you've ever done is actually the best picture of you as a person as you stand before God. 
That's pretty crazy. That's not good news. So it is good news that God doesn't choose based on works. God doesn't look and see, well, did the good outweigh the bad? Are they really nice? Do they help old ladies across the street? No, he doesn't even consider works. Before they had done good or bad, God chooses people. He loves them. He loves his people and he saves them. It's not by works, first of all, but it's also, in a sense, God doesn't, and you got to listen very carefully with me, and if you have questions about this, you can ask me after, but in a sense, it's not because of your faith either. And, and here's what I mean by that. There's a popular idea about election. We talk to people about election, most people in America who are Christians, and they're real Christians, right? You can have disagreements about this topic and be a real Christian. But most people, when you talk to them about election, they will say something like this. God, before the world began, he looked down the corridors of time and he saw whether you would believe or not. Anybody ever heard that? Raise your hand if you've heard that before. God looked down the, wow, that's a lot more than I thought. God looked down the corridors of time. I don't really know what that means. I don't know what corridors of time look like. But God looked down the corridors of time and he chose you because he knew you would choose him back. Right? He loves me. He loves me not. That's what God did. But that's, that's not in scripture. That's not biblical. It's not in the word of God. It's an idea that just comes from trying to get around this issue and make it easier for people to believe. It's the desire to make people not offended by this truth. Romans 9.16 says, So that it depends not on human will or exertion. That even your will, God doesn't look to see if you will decide yes or no. And really, as a, as a brief Side point, I won't get too much into this, but this idea really misunderstands faith because it makes faith something that God it just loves and wants to reward. As if faith is something that you did that is good. It's a good work. Like God looked down the corridors of time and he saw, wow, awesome job, Luke, you believed. But that's not what faith is. Faith is not something that you get credit for. Faith is, is all faith is, is you saying to God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve your judgment, but I'm trusting in what Jesus has done on the cross. Faith is not some kind of like special thing that God rewards. And that's his favorite thing to see in people. Faith is just recognizing your need for a savior. I know that that can, be, that can be complicated to understand, and I'm sure your small group leaders can help you with that if you have questions about it. But it's God chooses people. Second question, why does God elect some and not others? It's not by works, and it's not because of your faith either. We'll learn later. Actually, God gives you the gift of faith. You didn't even come up with faith on your own. God gave it to you. So why? I, I answered the question with two reasons why it wasn't why God didn't choose us, right? It's not by works and it's not because of our faith. But why did he choose us? Well, let me read it one more time. Look with me. Everybody look at Romans 9, 16. Verse 16. So then, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Why does God choose some and not others? It says because he did. Because he has mercy, it depends on God. We don't actually even know the answer to this question, but we know one thing, that God is merciful and gracious. And sometimes we don't like this because we think that everybody deserves a shot. But remember, we're all sinners. We all deserve to go to hell. 
God didn't have to save any of us, right? He should have left all of us on our own so that we would end up in judgment forever. That would, God would have been totally fair and just to do that. But instead, he loved sinners, us who are weak and, and broken and who naturally love the things of this world that dishonor God. The, we, the people who by nature hate God and hate one another. The thoughts of our hearts are always evil continually. We're turned inward on ourselves. There's nothing attractive in us. The God of the universe who created all of us loves us. He loves the people whom he chose. He doesn't choose them based on anything in them. The only reason he chooses them is because he loves them. And he doesn't love them because they're lovable. He doesn't love them because they're beautiful. He loves them because he just decides to love them. This brings us back to the heart of God. Why does God elect some and not others? Because he loves people. He's a loving God. Yes, he's a judge. He's a wrathful and he's a, he's a wrathful God and a God who will judge each and every person. But he's a God who loves and offers forgiveness and sends his son on a rescue mission to die for our sins. It's based on God, that, that God didn't have to do anything, but he decided, I'm going to choose people here. I'm going to choose JT. I'm going to choose Luke because I love them, even though they're worthless and wicked and weak. It depends on God who has mercy. It's because of his own purpose and grace, 2 Timothy 1.9 says, because of his grace. And there's no answer beyond that. Just like many other things in the Bible, we are the creatures, right? And God is the creator. And we don't understand all the details of how these things work out. But guess what? That's a good thing. If you can understand everything in the Bible, it's probably because somebody wrote it and just made it up. When you read other religions and their holy books, I've done this sometimes, it sounds like one of you guys wrote it. He just came up with all this stuff. Like, why would, you, why would you come up with these ideas that God chooses some and not others? Why would you come up with the idea that God is triune? He exists in one in three persons. Anybody else confused by that? One in three persons? Like, we couldn't make these things up. It's actually evidence. When we have to stop and say, I don't understand this, but I know it's true. We're in a good place, and we're in a place where we are dealing with the God of the universe. So why does God elect some and not others? Because he's a loving God. Because he loves to save people. But question number three, and I think some of you guys are, are already asking this, and you should be asking this. And if you're asking this, you are understanding the sermon rightly so far. Number three, how is this fair how is this fair? Right? What is election? Well, it's God's choosing. Why does God choose some and not others? Because he loves certain people. And how is this fair? We all have this natural question. I think, I, I naturally want to think this too. How is this fair? How, how can it be fair that God would choose me and not my friends that I grew up with in high school? How can it be fair that God would choose me and not my specific friend in high school that I just found out yesterday just died? One of my buddies from junior high. How, how, how that he wasn't a Christian. How does that, how is that fair? We, we struggle with this and we want to know, we want to answer. And again, I've said this over and over. This is the reason why people struggle with this doctrine. It's not because it isn't clear. It is crystal clear in scripture. And so we have to be, especially people who are saved by Jesus. 
and we know how wonderful and marvelous and gracious the Lord Jesus is, we have to honor Jesus by listening to what he says, even if we sometimes don't like it. But I am going to answer this question, how is this fair? I'm going to answer it in probably a way you're not expecting, but first of all, I want to address the idea of what is fair. What is fair? Well, the idea of being fair is getting what you deserve. We hear a lot about justice these days, uh, but what is justice really? It's getting what you deserve. You earn something, right? So like, I don't know, how many of you guys have jobs already? Who has a job? Wow, industrious group. Okay, so if it's your birthday, right, and it's also the day that you're supposed to get paid, right, and your boss comes up to you and he says, you know what, you've done such a great job. Uh, you know, I really, I think we're just great friends, not just coworkers. And just out of the bottom of my heart, I just want to give you a little gift. And you, they give you an envelope and it's got a, a little bow on there and you open it up and what is it? It's your paycheck. What would you think? What would you think? You're like, dude, that's not a gift. Like my birthday gift is my paycheck. I earn that. I'm not supposed to get birthday gifts every two weeks. Like, no, you got to give me a real gift. Like, come on. Like, that doesn't count. Give me a Starbucks gift card for five bucks. Let's say you get a Frappuccino. Yeah, you guys get the idea? Like, what's fair? You want, you want, you want justice. And so uh, justice is the idea of wages, right? That's your wages. You earn this. This is your wages. And the Bible uses the term wages too. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, for the wages of sin, all of us have sinned, right? All of us are sinners. All of us sin all the time. We, we sin every day, all day. And the wages that you've earned for that sin, just like the wages that you would have earned for your job that you're working now, the wages of sin is what? Death. If you want what's fair, if you want what's fair, God can give you what's fair. But it's going to be your judgment in hell forever. I wouldn't advise anyone here to stand on the final day of judgment and say to God, I just want you to be fair. That wouldn't be a good idea. Because we all have broken God's law. And we all deserve to go to hell. Every one of us, me, your leaders, all of us here, not just you students, we all deserve that. Everyone. And so this question, how is this fair? It already has one problem with it, right? We don't want what's fair. We already don't want what's fair. So we don't really have the ability to ask this question. Because to be, if, if God was really being fair, he would send everyone to hell. We wouldn't even be alive right now enjoying these moments. God would send everyone to hell. And so this idea of what's fair is not really a good question to ask. But secondly, I, I think this is even more important. In that chapter, Romans 9, um, Paul actually answers this question specifically. He answers this question for us. Romans chapter 9, verses 19 through 24. Let me read it. Verses 19 through 24. You will say to me then, Oh, sorry, I'll actually, I'll actually start in verse 17. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for, and I'm reading from the NAS, sorry, I'm sure you guys probably have the ESV, but you can translate. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up, to demonstrate my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. You will say to me then, 
Why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? Right? God chose some, and he didn't choose others. And then Paul says what? You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? Or, what was my way of saying this question? Question number three, how is this? How is this fair? It's like Paul saying the same thing. I think in this text, he's saying, God chooses some and chooses others. And I know what you're going to say. It's like Paul saying to us, I know what you're going to say. How is this fair? And guess what he doesn't say? He doesn't say, well, let me explain it to you this way. Well, um, God, he looked down the corridors of time and he saw who would choose him back and who wouldn't. And then he saved those people. Why didn't he say that? Wouldn't that have been easy? We all go, oh, amen, close in prayer. Right? It's easy. But, it, but it's because it's not true. It's not biblical. And so if you're asking this question, you're understanding this doctrine rightly. But we don't get the answer that we want to get. Let me read. I'll read the question again. Verse 19. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who resists his will? Verse 20. On the contrary. And I'm going to change my tone because I think this is the tone of the text. Who are you, O oh man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory, even us. What Paul does here is he puts us in our place. We ask, how is this fair? And Paul comes out and he says, let me remind you, oh man, little man, little men and women, you creatures of God. Let me remind you who is in charge here. Or in modern day vernacular, shut your mouth. Uh, uh, no, oh, no, stop talking. How is this fair? Shh. And that's shocking to me too. I'm like, whoa, that's like really intense. Like people wouldn't like that if I told them that at school. But it's what God says. And the reason that he says it is not because he, he's mean and angry. We already know he's not because he chooses and loves certain people. But it's because we, by, by nature, as mankind or sinners, we want to stand up and we want to sit in judgment on God. We want to say, God, you should have done this and you should have done that. But he is the creator. He made every single one of us. The Bible says that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. What that means is that, yes, gravity exists, but the reason that you're staying in your chair, the reason that the molecules in your chair are being held together, the reason that you're not floating into outer space right now is because the God of the universe holds you there while you hear this message. The God of the universe upholds the rules of the universe so that sound waves travel from my mouth through this mic to your ears. 
And if he were to remove his hand, the universe would fall apart. And so if this God, this sovereign God who made all things, who's been in control since day one, who planned every detail of how things would work and then sent his son to die for us, if he makes choices, we have no right to question him. And as Christians, we are people who, when most people stand and they stand and God's on one side and they're on the other side and say, why did you do that? How is this fair? God, you shouldn't have done that. We as Christians must cross over the line and we stand with God and we keep our mouths silent. As believers, we side with God. And it's a harsh answer and it's hard for us to hear, but it is in scripture. And so we have to hear it. And quickly, I'm going to close with this. Question number four. I think this is really, really important. So even if you haven't paid attention yet, please pay attention now. Question four. Should I try to figure out if I am elect? Should I try to figure out if I'm elect? Right? I'm just thinking about this as I I heard this message many times uh, as a kid as well. And I always wonder that because when you hear God chooses some and not others what's the first thing that comes into your mind even if you're a Christian who's been walking with the Lord for years what if I'm not elect what if God didn't choose me especially you dear Christians who are here today whether you be in junior high or high school or a leader who are struggling with sin who are discouraged with your sin nature and who long to be rid of your of your flesh that weighs you down who you're convicted and you feel the weight of the guilt of the law and the condemnation of of sin. You can wonder, what if I'm not elect? But one really important thing that you need to remember, especially you people who are very into theology, who love theology, love reading books about theology. I'm one of these people, so is JT. We love theology. Is we can never let our theology Stop us from using the language of the Bible. I'll show you what I mean. We can never stop our theology from letting us use the language of the Bible. Because the Bible never tells you to stop and try to determine, am I elect or not, based on all these things in my life. The Bible doesn't tell you to look up in the sky and try to figure out, did God choose me or did did God not choose me? We're told to confirm our election, to make our calling sure. But how do we do this? How do we have assurance? That's the real question. How do I have assurance? If these things are true, how can I know that I'm going to go to heaven when I die? And the answer is that assurance is not found in gazing into your soul and into your heart and wondering and analyzing the events of your life. No, the answer, your assurance is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Your assurance is found in the person of Jesus Christ and the offers that he makes, right? Uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight says what? Come unto me. What's the next word? Come unto me. Does it say come unto me, the elect? No, it's Jesus says, Jesus knows about election, right? But he said, no, come unto me all who are weary and I will give you rest. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever not whosoever is elect whosoever will believe will have eternal life are you guys getting the idea anyone all whoever you can just read through i used to do that because i struggle with assurance a lot i just read through john and i would just circle all anyone everyone whoever and i'm like well i'm included in that group it doesn't say whoever but luke Uh, it's like whoever okay that's me i'm gonna believe 
And so what I'm trying to say here, and I'll, I'll turn to Isaiah 55 to prove my point, is that you do not consider whether, you, you, you do not consider your life and try to figure out, am I elect or not, based on the things that you're doing, based on how bad you feel about your sin. Even if you're not a Christian here tonight, you're not called to consider, am I elect or not? Guess what you're called to do? Repent and believe. Recognize you're a sinner, that yes, you do deserve God's justice, that the worst thing you ever did is the best picture of who you are. And if you stand before in the throne room of God and stand before him as judge and ask for what's fair, you'll be condemned. But come, recognize I'm a sinner. I deserve justice. I'm spiritually, I have nothing to offer. I'm dead. But I'm trusting in what Jesus did. That Jesus says, come unto me all who are weary. And what did Jesus do? He went and he died on the cross for sinners. And on the cross, his hands were outstretched. His hands weren't closed like this. His hands were outstretched as if to say, come unto me. Anyone who comes is welcome. Come to Jesus and recognize I can't make it on my own. But I know Jesus died for my sins. He died on the cross to take the punishment that I deserve, that people like me deserve. And if you do that, you are elect. I know this can be sound like mind games, but like I said, we have to use the language of the Bible. The Bible says that if you, all who are saved are chosen by God. And it also tells every single person to repent and believe in Jesus. So let me, let me sort of close with this. And I think I've been in your shoes before. But no one in this room, or I guess it's not a room, no one in this gazebo <laughs> thing, <laughs> corridor, no one here can know that they're not elect. No one here knows they're not elect. You can't know it. No one here knows they're not elect. You cannot determine that you're not elect. And you can't even determine that your friends who are still alive are not elect. Because who knows what's going to happen in the future? God can save all of your friends. No one can know that they're not elect. And if you believe in Jesus, you can know that you are elect. If you are not trusting in your works for your final salvation, if you're not trusting in what you have done in your life, but you're trusting in what Jesus did, you are elect. You've been chosen by God. You've been foreloved. He saw you. And in spite of how wretched and sinful you are, he chose you and loved you and gave you every spiritual blessing in Christ. And he made you united to Jesus. And you're going to spend eternity with him. If you believe in Jesus, you're elect. If you love Jesus, you're elect. You're chosen. And even if you come to Jesus tonight and trust in him, that's how you can know that you're elect. I hope this isn't like just sound like I said, like mind games. This is how the Bible talks. We don't look to the secret workings of God and try to figure them out. That's not our place, remember? We're the creature. We side with God. We don't look for those things. We look to the promises of God. And Jesus says, anyone who comes to me, I will never cast out. Never. And if you're a Christian, this is great news that you've been chosen by God. You've been chosen by God. The God of the universe chose you. And if you're feeling guilty over your sin and you're, and you're a believer, guess what? God knew all the sins you've already committed, all the sins you're going to commit tonight, and all the sins that you're going to commit until the day you die, and he still chose and loved you. 
Because it's not based on you. It's all of grace. Not one ounce of your salvation has anything to do with anything about you. And at first, this makes us, makes us uneasy because we're prideful. But then as you get older in life and you see, like I see in all of our leaders, see that we're sinful and that we fail and fail and fail. It's the best news ever that God knew all my sins. He still chose me and he still loved me then. And so he's never going to stop loving me now. And so if you're sitting in this chair tonight, trusting in Jesus, you will never be more accepted by God than you are right now. Never. Not after a life of missionary service with millions saved because of your efforts. No, you wouldn't be more accepted. You wouldn't be more accepted than you, unbeliever, if you'll come and trust in Jesus. He's willing to save all who come unto him. Let me close with this. Isaiah 55. Come. Everyone who thirsts, everyone, come to the waters. And you who have no money, you don't have anything to offer spiritually, join the club. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. This doctrine gives us assurance. It helps us to believe that we're forgiven. It doesn't hinder that. So don't look to the secret plans of God. That would be the same as trying to figure out the will of God by walking in the woods and trying to figure out what job you're going to do, waiting for tree branches to fall. We don't do that. Look to what God's word says, that if you are trusting in Jesus, you're forgiven. And that's our hope. And if God's, if God's elect, if God is the one who's chosen people, who can condemn us? That's to sum up what, what uh, JT read in Romans chapter 8. So let me close in prayer.